welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. For the latest on what's happening in and around Fishers, just check my local news blog. Once again, you find it on the internet at LarryInFishers.com. Even with the nickel plate rails and fissures and parts of Noblesville about to be pulled out of the ground, making way for the nickel plate trail, two organizations are teaming up in an effort to have both a railroad and a trail along the nickel plate. Logan Day is with Save the Nickel Plate. Tom Williams represents Indiana Trails. Both organizations have released a joint statement on why they both want the Nickel Plate Trail to leave the rail line in place. Even though the city of Fishers is moving forward with a trail and plans to remove the rail tracks, these two groups are still seeking public support for their Rails Plus Trails idea. I spoke to Logan Day and Tom Williams during the morning of Thursday, August 15th. I'm at the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. We're in the Ignite space, the audiovisual room, which you can, if you have a library card, check it out. Wonderful acoustics in this room, which is why I love to record here. But there are all sorts of artistic, uh, how should I put this, equipment that you can use. There are 3D printers. You do have to learn how to use them. You can't just uh, come in and walk in one day and, and use a 3D printer. But lots of, of, of artwork, lots of art tools here. So if you would like to get uh, a, a tour of the Ignite space in the lower level of the library here in Fishers, come anytime the library is open and one of the librarians would be more than happy to give you a tour of that space, the Ignite space in the Hamilton East Library here in downtown Fishers. I'm honored today to have a couple of people very interested in rails and trails. I have Logan Day. Logan, of course, is a veteran of <laughs> podcasts. Uh, we've already had him on a podcast before. And we have Tom Williams here of Indiana Trails. Logan is here to represent Save the Nickel Plate organization, and Tom Williams is here for Indiana Trails. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. It's our pleasure. We're glad to be here. Thank you. Um, I just want uh, to start this off by asking you to uh, summarize and give your own views on a joint statement, Save the Nickel Plate and Indiana Trails, issued last week jointly. Uh, give me your best case, and I'll ask Logan to start and then have Tom come in. Uh, each of you, just make your case as to why you advocate a Rails plus Trails concept along the Nickel Plate, which is very uh, much a part of Fishers. So it's not only Fishers, but it, it is very integral to Fishers. So, Logan, could you start with that? Absolutely. Um I'll keep it simple. We believe that utilizing that corridor and maximizing the potential of that is going to be the best uh, long-term strategy for allowing it to supplement and and improve our communities for the future. And we think that Rails with Trails uh, is, is the best pathway forward to achieve that. Um, I think that from the beginning, we've had a concern with the government process in allowing us to participate in that vision. Uh, and we still today say that there, there's an opportunity, even with, uh, you may not be aware, but the tracks are currently being pulled up uh, in, in Noblesville. So we're upset with that. Um, 
but still say that there's an opportunity to ask those leaders in charge uh, to still designate the pathway where the rails are currently and will soon be removed for rail in the future and build the trail alongside it so that in the future, we're not back to square one of fighting when we say there is a need for rail, fighting the, the residents who appreciate that trail to say, we want to rip it up. Why not have both? Tom Williams. Indiana Trails has been responsible for the creation of hundreds of miles of trails around the state of Indiana that are used by people who like to ride bikes, who like to walk, who like to jog, uh, who use wheelchairs. Uh, it's, it's a multi-use uh, asset that is created by converting abandoned rail uh, right-of-way, uh, and, and it's a tremendous uh, opportunity that is provided to the citizens then to get off the couch and get outside, get some healthy, fresh air, get some exercise. That's what we're promoting. What we see with the nickel plate is an asset for this community, and we're not sure that the asset uh, as intended is the best use of that particular asset. We are all for walking and jogging and everything, but we're not certainly opposed to railroads either. And we see a synergistic possibility of creating trails along the existing right-of-way and maintaining the rails, which have historic value uh, to this community. And uh, it's got uh, potential uh, in the future to be uh, revived, revitalized, and used for mostly entertainment purposes, like the old fare train, for example, or perhaps Colts fans or whatever. But to spend the money to tear it up, we think could be better utilized in building rather than tearing down. And we see an opportunity uh, to create an asset that has a future as, as well as, uh, shall we say, an immediate uh, use uh, in, in providing a, uh, something for the community to use. I want to. I just want to say a couple of things. First of all, my wife and I love the dinner train. We took the dinner train up to Atlanta years ago. Uh, took my daughters on the fair train. This, as we record this, the state fair is still in progress, and it was certainly something that a number of families used. But I want to ask you some specific questions. And I know Logan's already talked about the differences uh, between Save the Nickel Plate, particularly, and and some of the government entities. Uh, Earlier this year, there was an engineering firm that was commissioned by the city of Fishers. I hope I pronounce her name right. Butler, Fairman, and Seifert. Is it Seifert? I believe, but yeah, BFNS. I was trying to get it right, but I didn't never. So Seifert is not spelled quite that way. But they released a very detailed report earlier this year. And just for background, for those listening, I'm sure you're familiar with it, uh, the two of you. But uh, that particular engineering study reached the conclusion that roughly 120 parcels of land would have to be sold either under the threat of condemnation or through condemnation proceedings. 80 buildings roughly would have to be demolished. Anywhere between 20 and $40 million would be added to any cost um, based on that engineering study. Uh, and your joint statement asserts that there is is now sufficient space for rails plus trails. So I'm at, I'd like to know how you, in light of that study, how you your organizations reached that conclusion. So I, I would say there's some concerns about the length of time it took to come out with that study and questions. I guess maybe a desire to have seen a, a, a third party, possibly more objective uh, study to that. We we commissioned our own, which was more of a vision study is what it ended up coming out as. But um, 
I think it comes down to resourcefulness in that you could create a study that says we need 100 feet and therefore we'll have to bulldoze you know, land on either side of this to create what we want. Or you could create a study that says let's look at the existing resources. So right here next to the library, we have a rail with trail, a trail that's within arm's reach of the railroad. Um, so if you were looking at it with the vision of how can we do it resourcefully, um, you can study what exists, and that's what we've been doing, and, and multiple residents have shown us the same possibilities of using existing trails where you have obstacles uh, and then coming back within the right-of-way where you don't have those obstacles. And that's what we think could have yielded this result that, um, that the current leaders don't believe could happen. But you basically, if I recall that, I do remember seeing a summary of that. You basically have to leave the trail, go through a sidewalk or a neighborhood, and come back on. Was that what I remember correctly? In, in some cases, yeah. yeah. Or okay. existing, a nickel plate trail that exists down by, I believe, 106th Street. It's mm -hmm. called the Nickel Plate Trail, and it mm -hmm. runs directly parallel to the railroad. And some places where, yeah, you could jog off and come back. But it's just a matter of being resourceful to achieve a unified vision for this corridor versus a singular vision of what some uh, individuals want. Anything you'd like to add to that, Tom? In most instances, a, a rail and trail synergistic asset is usually out in the countryside. What we're looking at is something that is urban. And with an urban uh, project, you've got more challenges. Uh, that's not to say it's not a good idea. We, we think that it is a good idea worth further exploration before we jump jump off the train right now, if you will, and uh, begin tearing up uh, this asset and wasting taxpayers' money, uh, we need to study it further just to get a, a, a more accurate picture of what would, be, what would entail to convert this existing asset into the uh, uh, beautiful thing that we're looking for down the road. Just one follow-up to Logan. Are you saying there was anything wrong with the uh, – uh engineering study that was commissioned by the city? I mean, most engineering firms pride themselves on their independence, even though the city certainly did pay for it. Um, is there any reason to believe that that was skewed in any way? I, I mean, the short answer is yes. I, I believe that in their statement they said it was the firm that the city already retains, and I just questioned the timing of how long it took for that to come out. I mean, for two years we had been saying, let's look at this, and only just prior to an election did that study finally come out. And I question why they can attribute values to how much more it's going to cost to do this, but they still, if you ask any elected official, which we have, they cannot tell you what the budget is or how much this trail is going to cost, but they can tell us how much on top of that it'll cost to do what we've been asking. Well, yes, that's true, but you really don't know what a trail costs until you've actually done the full design. I think there are some designs that are now being completed, but uh, there have been some estimates out there, and they have gone over the estimates. There's no question about that. But uh, do you? I guess the reason I'm, I bring that up is that can you really know what the budget is going to be for a trail until the trail is fully? Um, uh, for instance, you had a, a tunnel was added later rather than to go straight across 116th Street. That wasn't decided until later. Tom, you want to comment on that? Well, basically, what it appears to us to be the plan is they're going to tear up, clean up, and then build a trail. That's correct. Okay. So you got the expenses of tearing up, cleaning up, and then regrading and creating a, a, an improved asset. Our argument is why waste the money to tear up and clean up when you've got an asset there that has potential use down the road? 
uh, you know, it's it's a great great thing. I I talk to people uh, in in the Fishers area all the time that are excited about uh, the trails, but they're also they've got fond memories of the train that started off as an interurban. Then they got the steam locomotive, and then they got other assets. Uh, the Hobbs station and, and everything else up there at the museum. So, you know, we, we think, frankly, if, if it was uh, decided by the public, the public would favor what we're advocating, and that's give it a really serious look before we destroy something that uh, has intrinsic value to the community. You know, you talk about the interurban. I was just talking to my mom. She's 89, <laughs> and she has tremendous memories of the interurban, the trolleys, and it was a sad story because the trolley tracks were basically paved over because the, and I, I don't think this is pretty well known, the yeah. auto company said they weren't going to build plants in a city that had trolleys. <laughs> so they had to tear them all down. And I think today we, people wish they were still there. But and in the, some instances, those companies bought out the uh, the interurban companies and and literally stripped them of the, the cars and paved yes. over it themselves. That is correct. Yes. that That's also part of history. I wonder, I'm, I'm going to ask this question. Uh, Tom, answer this first. The red line is getting ready to come into fruition in the city of Indianapolis. Uh, with what you are advocating, does the success or lack thereof of the red line have any impact, you think, on what you're arguing here? And uh, the red line, just so you know, if you know if you're not familiar, is not on a train track. It's on a dedicated lane. But go ahead. Right. I, I would say that it would be tangentially, uh, uh, you know, affected by it. That you're talking. I'm, I'm not sure that. Comparing the red line to what we're advocating is apples and apples and oranges and oranges. Uh, the, the red line is created primarily for the purpose of herding people back and forth from downtown to the suburbs. And, and what we're talking about is taking an asset that already exists. The investment has basically already been made. Um, additional investment would be used to create a trail and to uh, uh, keep the rails for future use, for entertainment purposes, for educational purposes. And, and uh, so you know, you've got two different purposes between the two different projects. And uh, so, as I say, any similarity might, might be accidental or tangential, but certainly not direct uh, from my viewpoint. Uh, I would just like to comment based on sure. what you uh, mm-hmm. were talking about, your aunt and the, and the interurbans. And, and uh, I can remember riding that old interurban trolley that they had, but as a child, as, as indicated in the uh, letter to the editor that we prepared, uh, I can remember as a child riding the Grand Trunk Railroad from Chicago to Flint, Michigan, where my family lived. And, uh, you know, it was really exciting to go down to the station and get on the train and, and ride in the dining car. It's the experience that you had. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some uh, rolling museums, I like to call them, in the state currently. And they're fun. I, I've enjoyed taking my grandchildren to them to expose them to the Polar Express and to the dining car from downtown and down at French Lick. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a neat experience. As children, they read about trains. But they don't have that many opportunities to actually experience it. Well, in this part of the country, that's true. I've been on the French Lick train. That is a nice rural mm-hmm. preserve. Anything you want to add to the red line question, Logan? Or? You know, I think he pretty well covered it. Um, I think we're all anxiously looking at that project to see um, how how it succeeds or, or doesn't. And I think that it, there's a good chance it will. Um, I think the big difference is going to be connectivity. Right now, that's only up to Broad Ripple, I believe. Broad Ripple to the University of Indianapolis through downtown. Yeah. yeah. 
so again, it's a tangential relationship in that the nickel plate extends and connects communities for 40 miles. So there's a little bit different scope. I want to refer to your joint statement. I think it was a letter to the editor in some cases, but it was, uh, and I've seen it uh, published in a few places. Uh, but here's something that was from your your uh, joint statement. You sort of frame this as an unanswered question. I'm going to quote here: How the Port Authority, and just to give people who don't know, the Port Authority has uh, the three governmental entities appointees to basically who are the owners of that that train line, their nickel plate line, how the Port Authority would make sure the localities are building the trail in a way that does not interfere with the federal rail banking laws they must follow, and the attorney said that was not clear. I'm going to talk about the attorney comment in a moment. But first, I want to, think, I want to ask here, the federal board that oversees these issues is, I think, the Federal Transportation Safety Surface Board. Surface Transportation Surface board. Transportation Board, yeah. Thank you for correcting me on that. Yeah, no problem. But uh, as I understand it, the rail banking was approved last year by that board, and the removal of the tracks was approved last December. So I guess with that, what concerns do you have that rail banking laws are, are not being followed? Okay, so there is email evidence that these governmental entities are communicating with NDOT, talking about lowering the rebuild of the interchange at 465 and 69, and also 6570 North Split. And if they do that that will not allow for future re, uh, rail reactivation. Those are active discussions, and we have evidence of that. So that's one concern. But as it directly relates to the Port Authority, um, I was at that meeting. I believe you were uh, as yes, well, I Larry. Was. Yes, um, And one of the Port Authority members asked the attorney, Ms. Poindexter, if, um, if there was anything in what they were approving – that would protect the Port Authority from any of the trail sponsors making changes to the corridor that violated that might violate the rail banking. And she was unclear and said she would go back and check that. And despite having that glaring, open, unanswered question, they went ahead and approved uh, approved the resolution that was in front of them. And that was one concern. And there was also the conflicting license agreement with the um, the Nickel Plate Express. So they have the ability to operate on track that has now been approved to be removed. And again, I believe Ms. Poindexter said she didn't have the answers to that, and yet the Port Authority still approved it. So it's just concerning how a governmental entity could be making decisions um, that could have such far-reaching liability and um, conflicting issues with existing uh, users of that corridor. Well, as you mentioned, I was at that meeting, and I'm going to be honest, I have been covering governmental meetings since the early 1970s, Yeah, and I have seen lots of governmental entities do lots of things, <laughs> and they don't always have to get all the answers from their attorney before making a decision. Sometimes there's no problem. Sometimes they pay a price for it later. But the Port Authority, with one dissenting vote that you mentioned, mm -hmm. did go ahead and pass that, even knowing that information. So is, uh, what's – I guess I'm trying to – and you can either one of you kind of – I didn't find it that unusual because the Port Authority thought, okay, we have enough information. We're going to go ahead, even though those questions were specifically answered. In my experience, and, and like you, I've been involved with public policymaking since the early 1970s. When a, a, an agency that is empowered to make a decision makes a decision, even though they don't have all the answers, it's usually a situation where it's not very controversial and for expediency, they go ahead and do that. Generally speaking, if it's controversial, they either will defer until they get all the answers, so they've got all their ducks in a row, 
or it's a situation where they're railroading it. <laughs> no, no pun intended. I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, I've heard the train has left the station. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but go ahead, Tom. No, but <laughs> seriously, Larry, uh, uh, yeah, I've I've dealt with government agencies and and legislative bodies both on the state and federal levels for thirty years, and I've seen exactly what you're talking about. You do raise a good question, and it's a matter of governmental practice. And uh, uh, generally speaking, it, it's it's a situation where there are some things that they can go ahead and make a decision and it's for expediency uh, they know it's not going to be controversial and they just go ahead and do it but uh, usually if there's controversy most public policy uh, people uh, they, they like to have their ducks in a row they like to avoid controversy whenever they can and they want to have the answers in this case it apparently uh, it apparently made a decision without all of the answers and we, we, we just question as to whether or not that's mm-hmm. appropriate Anything you want to add, Logan? Uh, He covered that perfectly. (laughs) Uh, I want to go back to your joint statement. I read that carefully. And in that statement, you uh, do assert, and it is correct, no bids removed all the tracks between Noblesville and the state fairgrounds. That is a a correct statement. But my understanding, and tell me what your view is on that, my understanding is that there was never a requirement to do that. Now, for instance, I know that the ties that are involved in just that's kind of a geeky thing for people to know about <laughs> railroads, but it's, yeah. it's part of what keeps the railroad together. It's, mm-hmm. and, uh, th- th- there's some salvage value, which will pay for part of this removal as, as, as the bids were put in. And the ties were not going to be covered. And as I understand it, uh, the crossings uh, on the roads are not going to be removed. The cities and county or whatever will have to do that themselves. Uh, that was – so I, I guess the concern is it, – it, are you, I was not terribly surprised that all the tracks were not going to be removed, and none, none of the bids actually did that. They took one bid, which removed most of the of that. Uh, so I'm asked Logan to start. What? Uh, why did is your your two organizations concerned about that? That seems to me that uh, all the bids were quite different, to be honest. They were, with you. yeah. Uh, but that one removed the most rails, which is what the governmental bodies appear to want. Whether you folks think is a good idea or not, that yeah. was their goal. So sure. go ahead and t- tell me why you are concerned about that. Plainly and simply, it's that there's going to be, after that contract is fulfilled, there's still going to be, I would suggest, based on what I've seen, uh, at least a million dollars of road crossing work that has to be done. Plus, did, I, I may be unclear on this. You said the ties are going to remain in place? No, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Part, it's part of the removal, but I'm not sure there's okay. any salvage values. What I'm yeah, no, about. typically not, in, yeah. in, especially in ties that are of that age. But, um, yeah, th- 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 there's cost beyond that one project in in the still the cleanup and grading of this project so it's just there's still taxpayer implications even after uh, AMK railroad materials is done doing their work that's what the concern is there anything else tom no it, it's just that uh, uh, our our basic question is is this the most effective use of taxpayer money I mean, you know, we've got an existing asset. Uh, We feel that that existing asset can be enhanced and and be uh, a better uh, asset for the community rather than wasting our money in tearing it up to create something that can already be created anyway as an adjunct to what's already there. And what's already there has the potential of uh, further use down the road. Let me stay with you, Tom, because I want to quote another part of your joint statement. 
quoting now, Indiana Trails is mobilizing the public to urge elected and appointed officials in Hamilton County, Marion County, and state government to build a trail beside the Nickel Plate Railroad, not on top of it. I'll close the quote there. The city of Fishers is moving forward and removing the rails, building the first phase of the trail here in Fishers. So I guess in, I understand your point of view. There's a lot of passion many people have about this issue. But realistically, what are the chances of this happening? It all depends on whether or not the public gets uh, uh, fired up. <laughs> if, if the people are made aware, and they're made aware of the fact that there are other alternatives that we argue are better alternatives, then perhaps uh, public pressure can be brought to bear on the uh, uh, city fathers and, and get something uh, positive accomplished. Uh, you know, people, you know, taxpayers, they're in interested in good government. And in a lot of ways, Fishers has good government. But this is one time when uh, some of us feel that better decisions can be made than what have been made. Logan, I hate to bring this up, but it, uh -oh. <laughs> it, it does tie into this whole idea of public opinion yeah. because you did run for mayor of mm -hmm. Fishers. Now, you made it very clear. In fact, when I talked to you on the podcast, you didn't want to be known just as the train guy. Sure. But you knew everyone knew that was your persona and that was one of your issues, not your only issue. Sure. Uh, there were others, but that was one of your issues in, in your run for mayor. And at least amongst the people voting in the Republican primary, you received just over 30 percent of the vote. So I guess with that in mind, is there really a groundswell publicly to make a change of this decision based on, on that election result? Yeah, so in this region, we have a lot of different communities, and Fishers is certainly one unique one amongst those that is around. Uh, Short answer is yes, I believe so. Um, that election, unfortunately, as is tradition in Indiana, had very low turnout. Um, and I think that there's more sentiment, and, and it's playing to Tom's point, that once – if we can help people to be more educated about this topic and the alternatives, I think that can help there to be a groundswell of uh, more support and perhaps maybe in Indianapolis more so than Fishers, um, but in the places where there still is an opportunity to make a difference, we can look at that. And don't forget, there is still a portion of this that uh, the Nickel Plate Express runs on. I'd like to see perhaps Indiana Trails or other groups work on building a rail with trail there where it's not a controversy, it's not a conflict. Well, that has been a very successful train. That, uh, But for those who don't know, that, that Nickel Plate Express goes, I believe, from Noblesville to Atlanta. Am I right on that? Yes. Uh, uh, and that's uh, that's still going strong and doing and, – and they're drawing a lot of people. So it's been a yeah. very – and actually Fishers was, was actually supportive of that. They've actually financially supported that, although they're not supporting it within their own uh, city limits. Tom, I want to ask you a question because your organization has been very effective in advocating for trails as a public asset. You've, you've been very successful in that. So I hate to put the question this way, but I have to. If the, tr tr tra uh, the train tracks, if I can say that correctly, if the train tracks are removed, are you supportive of the, the plans for a trail in Fishers? Oh, sure. Yes. We, I, we, we, we're, we're, our position is that uh, wherever feasible, we would like to create trails so that, uh, as I said earlier, people can get off the couch, get out of their house, enjoy the fresh air, get some exercise. And do it all with their families. And, and do, it with their, <laughs> do it with their families. And, and uh, uh, recently uh, I saw somebody uh, wrote a letter to our organization because we put out some information about joggers, about bikers, about walkers. And he said, you know, 
there are wheelchair people too that use the trail, mm-hmm. and yes. and it was something that it was certainly nothing intentional, but we neglected to uh, point out the fact that yes, wheelchair people use the trails too. So I mean, it's it's a, a tremendous asset that's available to people. Uh, they don't have to pay to go on it. Uh, it's it's there. It's safe. Uh, and, and, and in fact, uh, in my estimation, wherever it goes, it generally enhances the neighborhood. Uh, it, it cleans things up. It, uh, it makes things more vibrant, and, and it's very positive. It's just that we feel we've got an asset right now in Fishers, in Indiana, that is being underutilized, and it has potential. And why waste taxpayers' money tearing up when that money would be better spent creating that wheelchair example is very interesting because when I first moved to Fishers in 1991, we had a fellow who was uh, living in the neighborhood, and he was one of these racers, the speed racers <laughs> on the wheelchairs. These, I mean, I had to watch for this guy. He moved pretty fast. <laughs> I thought, well, if he had a trail, you know, it would be a lot better because it was a little bit dangerous. We had to keep an eye out for him because he were, he moved so quick. But I really admired that, and, and I think that's one way a, a trail could be used. Now, Logan, the Save the Nickel Plate organization, as far back as I can remember, and I've covered this for a few years, yeah. although you've advocated for the train, you've also said you, you wanted the trail as well. You wanted the trail plus the, the train. But I do have to bring up one more painful thing, and I'm sorry I have to do it. <laughs> no, but it's it t- all right. But it ties into what you're, you're saying and, and your organization, because I think you have a lot of very passionate people who are, and I've seen the meetings, I've seen uh, the passion from some of your supporters. But you did have a setback when you sued the Board of Works and Fishers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sued them. I think it was was it open meetings law was the, uh, tra- I, I think that's what I recalled the issue. Ultimately, meeting. yeah, it came under the open door laws. As but how there were some other there were some other issues about public hearings. I mm-hmm. won't get into all the. But it was a, a, a lawsuit that was filed, and uh, Judge David Najar not only dismissed your lawsuit, called it frivolous, and and the organization was required to pay roughly seventy thousand dollars of the city's. Uh, fees to defend that lawsuit. Was that a setback for your organization, or have you been able to recover from that? Uh, it was certainly a setback. Um, we have been able to recover. Um, we were disappointed with that, but it is what it is. And, you know, we, we uh, appreciate um, the, the, the legal branch of the government distilling the information and, you know, doing it what they did. Uh, I am glad that you brought this up, though, because here's the point that I, I want. I would encourage anyone that likes to research things to do this. The fact still remains today that under Indiana Code 36-9-6.1, they are responsible, government entities, for providing budgets, estimates, cost estimates, and drawings for projects such as this. So even I, I know that... We talked about the fact that they haven't provided that information. The law clearly states right there that they should. So despite the outcome of that case, which I think was more based on the technicality of statute of limitations for open door violations, I would encourage everyone to go look up Indiana Code 36-9-6.1 and read that. It's, it's a fairly short reading and ask the question, why weren't we provided that information? Because we have a right as taxpaying citizens to understand what this investment is going to cost us. We're about out of time, so I'm going to let you gentlemen make your final summations, make your case as to why you uh, believe the Rails Plus Trails is still viable. Tom, I'm going to give you the first opportunity. As I have repeatedly said, uh, Larry, it's a situation where we've got an existing asset. If the existing asset has potential for future use, uh, 
for whatever purpose. In our case, we think it's uh, got an entertainment value and a historic value. It should be retained and built upon and creating a rail and trail synergistic uh, asset, we think, makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it also, frankly, would save taxpayers money. There, there's no reason to be spending money to tear it up when we don't have to. And we, we uh, just uh, argue that uh, uh, trails are good. Rails can be good. Together, they can be dynamite. Logan Day, your last uh, argument to the to the jury, That's so to speak. <laughs> Not really a jury, but the, public no, opi- yeah. the jury of public opinion. Now. Perfect. <laughs> so... Uh, taking off of one thing that he said, uh, the synergy, uh, I think that combining the two assets, you enhance the mobility of that corridor. Because let's let's talk about the aging generation, who may not be able to get on their bike or walk. <laughs> Tom and I are raising our hands. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> but if you talk about um, different generations and their needs, or or even uh, the disabled community who may not be able to get on and utilize that corridor for uh, the entire. I mean, the four and a half miles in Fishers and beyond as it's built out, if you add other mobility options along that, that's where it becomes a, a stronger investment. Even if it is a little bit more investment to try and do both side by side, you're enhancing the quality and the accessibility of that amenity to more and more people who can enjoy the whole four and a half, five, 10, 12 miles of it by rail and get off and walk two miles and get back on and come back. So I think that looking towards the future, um, until that trail is built on the railroad right-of-way, we still have the opportunity to sway our officials to consider putting it beside there. Logan Day, you just heard him. He's with Save the Nickel Plate, a former mayoral candidate here in Fishers, and Tom Williams of Indiana Trails. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. We appreciate the time. Thank, thank you. you, Larry. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. Check my Fishers local news blog regularly for the latest updates on happenings in and around Fishers and follow the blog on Twitter at Larry in Fishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.